Hey, welcome to The Great Relate. I am so excited. Well, really, I'm grateful you're here. Um, so I'm looking out my bay window and it's absolutely gorgeous outside. And as much as I appreciate summer, I cannot wait for fall. Give me those boots, cozy sweaters, changing of the leaves, and a big old Halloween party. And uh, I'm a happy mama. But what makes me even more happy is having you experience this conversation I have with my friend and colleague, Michelle Gaines. She is a certified conscious parenting coach. And she does... uh, her coaching from the lens of the polyvagal theory. She is brilliant at explaining what this theory is, not only what it is, but how to use it in your daily life. I'm such a big proponent of that. Um, I come from a psychology background and I have learned you can know a ton of theories you can have conversations around it and intellectually understand what it is, but does it really make a difference if you don't know how to apply it to your life? I'm all about being able to integrate these amazing theories into our daily life. How do I use that? How do I use it on a Monday? You know, when my life is a shitstorm or when I'm trying to navigate something that's challenging or new. So what I think I learned about myself during this conversation is, you know, I was raised um, with these automatic patterns of reacting to my family dynamics. And when I say react, like my body actually reacted, you know, the whole not in my stomach the high levels of anxiety. And man, I was cool as a cucumber on the outside, but what was going on inside was so intense. And listening to Michelle um, explain what was actually going on inside my body and what was triggering it to do this was amazing to me. And it's not until we bring these things to the conscious level that we're then able to change it. And I'm pretty grateful and feel empowered that I can do that, that we can do that. Not everybody um, has that choice. Um, You know, I have just dear family members that suffer from diseases like Parkinson's and MS and diabetes. They don't have a choice. They can't retrain their brain to dissipate symptoms of Parkinson's or diabetes or MS, but I can. And as hard as it may seem, she explains how we can retrain our brain to regulate in a very new way, which would otherwise cause us to go into a panic attack or have high levels of anxiety or react in a way that just doesn't serve us or our relationships. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I, I did. I learned a ton, lots of golden nuggets. I'll have a ton in the um, notes. Again, I love introducing my friend, Michelle Gaines. 
I hope you guys love it. Really awesome to have you here. I think you're one of the coolest people ever and you're crazy intelligent. And thank you. Yeah. So before we get into this amazing theory that you're going to teach us about and integrate into who we are and how we hang with our kids, tell me who is Michelle Gaines and why are you such a rock star? Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I am a mom of two little ones and I'm also, I've been an educator for 10 years and um, a conscious parenting life coach, which is how we connected and know each other through our institute program. Um, but now I just, I use an eclectic approach with a few different trainings like neurobiology of trauma and attachment theory through emotionally focused therapy, mm-hmm. um, polyvagal theory and conscious parenting method to, um, to support primarily parents through coaching practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, having spent all that time, cause you were an educator for how long? For 10 years and still yeah. working in the education space still. Yeah. Yeah. And what, um, because I know you continued your, your, uh, secondary education, you got your master's. And so what, what was it about that you wanted to know more of? What took your interest? In terms of education or in terms of incorporating more coaching in education? Both, both. Yeah. Well, I guess it was parenting. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I was mostly in special education and then I had a, a ed nonprofit, like a social justice through ed nonprofit in Memphis, Tennessee. And now I live in Reno, Nevada. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was through that special education work that was day-to-day supporting kids, but also supporting families and parents who are supporting their kids in this kind of alternative learning space is kind of how special education is treated for the most part. Um, and then becoming a parent myself. I mean, I think I thought I'm also the oldest of five. So I figured, you know, Hey, I'm the oldest of five. I'm babysitting. I've been a got teacher. This. Got this. I got this. It's going to be easy. Yeah. And it wasn't easy. Yeah. So, um, really learning more, all, all the trainings that I listed that I implement with my clients are things that I try to embody, um, you know, in my personal life with my partner, with my kids, with my family. Um, and, and so that's kind of the biggest, um, motivation for learning for myself Mm -hmm. is is because I know it's going to make an impact for me. And then because, and particularly some of the trainings, you know, more so than others, um, taking what I've learned and being able to help other people, because I, I know the impact it makes for me in my life. Well, you know, I honestly hadn't even heard about the polyvagal theory until you had brought it up and um, and then after the training that you received. And one thing that I have always found most just impactful and that has been helpful to me is when I can integrate kind of a 30,000 feet theory into my own life and what that looks like on a Monday for me, if I'm frustrated or anxious or whatever it might be. So how did you, how did you find out about it? What, what piqued your interest on the polyvagal theory? 
Yeah. Well, again, it goes back to personal experience and, you know, your question, what, what was the motivation basically? Yeah. This pivoting or new learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have a complex trauma history and all of that kind of came up in different ways in adulthood, but really seemed to um, culminate for me in parenting. You know, there's just Mm -hmm. no downtime. Um, Kids have this beautiful and unique way of revealing all of our like deepest fears, um, anxiety. (laughs) Um, and so what that looked like for me was really experiencing what I now understand through the lens of polyvagal theory and dysregulation as different experiences of anxiety and depression. And so wanting to get my own treatment, get my own support and finding that after seeing a few different practitioners, different mental health practitioners, coaches, et cetera, um, the ones that were trained in polyvagal theory mm-hmm. and had this nervous system lens to mm-hmm. view what was going on in my body. You know, so much of my experience came with a lot of shame in those in those moments of anxiety or depression. Yeah. Um, sometimes they were more than longer than moments, right? Yeah. Um, that there, the shame was around like, I want to be thinking a certain thing, but what I'm really thinking is not what I want to be thinking. And I feel bad about that. Or like, give me I, an example. Yeah. Like, um, I really wish I, I thought that being a mom was all great, you know, or that it, it was all, mm-hmm. um, everything it was cracked up to be an easy, like I'm thinking being a mom is hard and I want to be thinking it's easy and fun and full of connection. Yeah. Um, so why isn't, why is my brain not thinking that? Or I really want to have the energy to play and engage with my son the way that, um, you know, I imagined and expected and even did as a big sister, a teacher and a parent, as a um, babysitter, you know, even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why can't I make my body or why is my body resisting or feeling resentful or whatever it was? So, um, those are kind of general, but it's those general things that were popping up the thoughts and the feelings that I was having that I didn't want to be having and felt shame around thinking and feeling that way. So working with people who helped me to see through another lens that it was really my wonderful body survival responses, keeping me safe. Um, yeah, that was, you know, perpetuating these these patterns and that it was possible to kind of work with my body to reshape these patterns. Yeah, you know, I find that yes, parenting is a huge learning curve. Uh, but I even find in working with my clients, people come and want um, solutions. They want to get rid of the pain that they're feeling. They want to get rid of the emotions that they're feeling and they want an answer to how to fix something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pulling in something like, wow, my body is actually telling me something. How can I use this? It's so hard, especially when you're in the moment too. It's so hard to to use this type of theory because it takes time to actually regulate that I'm sure you're going to be talking about, but it's just so hard. Do you ever find either personally or even professionally when clients come to you in that 
state where I just want a fucking answer. Just tell me what to do. They want a fix. Like, how do you go about that? Yeah. Um, Cause so, so often we come with the, the presenting problem as yeah. we see it, right? The presenting problem. Right. Right. Um, and I, that really is a product where, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason why we come with that. We're really conditioned via our, our culture that there is the problem and a solution right. um, and things need to happen quickly. Um, but really that particular one, that sense of urgency and that sense of quick is a really mobilized sympathetic state in our bodies. Yeah. Um, and what I try to, to reorient the client, the parent, myself, when I'm feeling that way, is that it's really about an experience and a relationship. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're working to build a relationship first with ourselves um, that's, you know, connected, it's in connection and safety. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that that connection and that safety actually is the answer yeah. and is the, the fix. And it might not be quick, um, but it's the, it's the answer and it's the treatment. Um, and that's also not to say that there's anything wrong necessarily with an activated response. And I know we'll get into this later, but these, these responses that want this answer, this fix, this sense of urgency, mm -hmm. um, that has an absolute, absolutely wonderful purpose for the sake of our survival. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of start with we're going to shift the lens to a relationship, safety and connection, and that that, that relationship and that experience of safety and connection um, becomes the, the fix. Yeah, the answer, the yeah. answer. Yeah. Long-term answer. Yeah, yeah, and the treatment and the relationship, yeah. Mm -hmm. So give me a rundown of polyvagal theory and um, from, a viewpoint of like parenting and how it can empower a parent. Yes. Okay. So um, the first thing I'm going to go through it a little bit quickly in terms of the organizing principles, but I also like to talk about it in the, in the neurobiology, like how, how it's working within our brains, because so much of what I love about um, many modalities and specifically polyvagal theory is that it's eradicating the shame around our experiences. Mm -hmm. And so when we understand what's happening in our bodies and why it makes so much sense that whatever is happening is happening, whether yeah. it's for ourselves or our child, um, then we have the potential, the opportunity, the space to have more connection, to have more safety, to have more meaning. And, and that's really the fertile ground for whatever is our unique value system, right? Or right. set of values. So um, there are three organizing principles of polyvagal theory, and it's all to do with our autonomic nervous system and the relationship we have with cues of safety, cues of danger, how our body interprets these things, and then how it um, takes this information and activates what it deems it needs to um, meet the daily challenges or um, joys of life. Okay. So the three organizing principles are hierarchy, um, basically that we move, our systems move through a predictable order um, of states 
when we're experiencing either cues of safety or cues of danger. So okay. if we have enough cues of safety, we're in a ventral state. That's the first part of the hierarchy. We're feeling safe. We're feeling connected. We're feeling present. Um, our pace is just right. Our breath is regulated. Our, our system functions and our anatomy are all integrated, working together. And being in this state really quick is... Do you find that, does this start off when we're really young? Are we always in a ventral state when we're young? And then it kind of, the hierarchy takes over. <laughs> it's, it actually begins in utero. So it begins okay. in utero and lasts a lifetime and is constantly being formed because of um, neurobiology and some, some development. There's a greater emphasis on our experiences, you know, in utero and birth to six. Okay. Um, but we're constantly shaping this, okay. um, this process. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Or this function. So, so if we're, you know, experiencing enough cues of safety, we're in a ventral state. If we experience cues of danger, we first, and this is hierarchy, there's this predictable order that we, all mammals, um, experience, um, us and kids, no matter the ages, right? We move through this predictable order. So from ventral, we then, if there's too many cues of danger, first resource our sympathetic response, um, which is our mobilized response. And we think about like, you know, if we're walking down a path and a lion jumps in front of us unpredictably, we're going to first resource this colloquially known as fight flight response, the sympathetic mobilization. Mm -hmm. And we're ready to fight or flee the lion. Mm -hmm. And if that is not enough of a state um, to resource, if we're threatened even more, let's say we're actually not in proximity to the lion, but we're pinned by the lion, we can't fight the thing, we can't flee the thing, our body then resources, our dorsal immobility, collapse, shutdown state, think of it like a hibernation, mm -hmm. where our system slows and numbs um, to basically play dead. So it's our last chance to maybe if we're, you know, if we're perceived as dead by the threat, the lion, maybe we'd be less appetizing and maybe we'll survive the threat. Yes. Um, or um, I like to think of it as also if the lion is to inevitably um, tear us apart, this dorsal immobility shutdown really spares us because it's numbing, it's slowing, it's blocking our, um, our retrieval of cognition functions. Mm -hmm. um, it spares us mm -hmm. the like horrors of yes. thinking about what's about to happen and feeling the full effect of what's, what it feels like to be eaten, right? Okay. So, um, you know, first we were ventral, then sympathetic. Um, Chronic sympathetic state is where anxiety lives. Chronic dorsal immobility shutdown is where depression lives. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we move through that predictable order um, when we're resourcing a threat response. Okay. If we're resourcing regulation, we also have to move through this hierarchy. So from dorsal, we have to have a little bit of sympathetic mobilization to be able to regulate into our homeostasis state of ventral, which is the safety and connection. So it just helps to know that we are moving up and down this ladder is kind of the imagery of it. This mm -hmm. ladder of ventral, sympathetic, dorsal, dorsal, sympathetic, ventral, um, to meet the daily challenges or, you know, experiences of life. That's how we're moving through life. That's how our kids are moving through an experience mm. in life. 
that's how our pets, if they're mammals, <laughs> all mammals mm -hmm. are experiencing all three of these states okay. for the survival. So that's the first organizing principle. Okay. The second organizing principle is um, neuroception. And neuroception is the term given to our autonomic nervous systems threat detector. So that is the threat detector that's constantly sussing out, is this a cue of safety? Is this a cue of danger? And those things- And these are all learned, right? These are, are these all cues learned, of safety yeah. and cues of danger? Because my cue of danger can be completely different than your cue of danger. Absolutely. Yeah. They're all learned. There are some, because neuroception susses out cues of danger and cues of safety in three ways inside of our systems. So whether we're experiencing, um, you know, health, integration, restoration, um, organ function, or inflammation, pain, you know, whatever pathogens. Okay. In our systems. okay. Assessing out cues of safety or danger um, in our external environment. So does our environment feel safe? Are the sensory experiences of the sound, the light, is that feeling right for our system in our environment? Or is it, you know, a loud noise that's jarring or an unpredictable motion that's right by us um, that feels scary? Okay. Sussing out cues of safety and danger in our environment. And then the third way it's sussing out um, danger and safety is between nervous systems. So now as I'm engaging with you, um, because okay. we happen to also be on video, I'm looking for just cues of safety and danger in your expression, your body language, right? Your tone, your prosody, um, all of these things. And so back to your question, these are all different, right? They can be all different depending on the nervous system and they're learned or formed based on um, what the circumstances in our environments were in those things. So, okay. you know, maybe a certain type of music is a cue of safety for me, but okay. it can be a cue of danger for someone else who heard that music during a particularly painful time of their life. And their nervous system has this memory of it not being um, a cue of safety, but really kind of a cue of danger. Can um, an emotion from someone else be a cue of danger? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, okay. we'll get into this with the brain, but yeah, okay. emotions... Um, there can be cues of dangers in many different categories. Yeah, including okay. you know behaviors, thoughts, words, um, and emotions. That would be kind of in um, between nervous systems. Yeah. So if um, if someone expressed, let's say, anger um, at a time in childhood, I use in childhood a lot. It could be at any time in life, but so many of these patterns are mm -hmm. formed in childhood. Mm -hmm. If anger was associated with danger, if anger meant that we were going to get hit, let's say, or mm -hmm. sent away in isolation to our room or, um, not, a, or punished in some way, then ang our system can kind of overcouple or overgeneralize yes. that emotion of anger as something that's going to be dangerous. Okay. Yeah. So the first two organizing principles, the hierarchy, that predictable way we're moving through our daily life, responding to life's experience is the hierarchy. The second is neuroception, which is our system's threat detector. And the other important things to say about neuroception is that I keep pointing here because we'll get there. It's autonomic. <laughs> It's yeah. happening before conscious thought. So we're not in charge of the yeah. way this is, you know, we can't just say, you know, make that emotion a cue of safety. Our system is experiencing that at an involuntary level before That's conscious right. thought. Okay. It's 
also act in charge of activating that hierarchy of threat responses or um, ventral if we're in a state of safety. Okay. So neuroception is incredibly important because it's sussing out cues of safety and danger all the time. Um, inside, outside, between nervous systems. Okay. It's also doing it um, and activating the state that it deems we need to be able to um, meet the current challenge. Mm -hmm. And then um, the third organizing principle is co-regulation. And this is a biological imperative um, from beginning in utero and spans a lifetime. So we never outgrow our biological need for co-regulation, mm -hmm. regulation with another nervous system. Mm -hmm. And um, that I think for a lot of folks, especially parents um, and adults in general, it feels very natural or easier in some ways to imagine a child, a baby, an infant, a fetus having co-regulation as a need, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously this- sure. This this little one depends on me for basic needs, sure. right? Feed, shelter, feeding, shelter, all that stuff. Um, but I think our culture tells a lot of us that we have to do it all ourselves, right? Or we can't, we don't have to depend Absolutely. on so many people. Or if we need help, that maybe that's there's something wrong with us. Right. Um, but really getting support and feeling safe is for all of a lifetime throughout adulthood um, and spanning our life depends on our proximity to other nervous systems. Yes. We feel can be soothed by them, protect, protected by them. So, um, and I feel like it's, it's like when you're talking about this, I get stuck in between our interpretation of what, what we grew up with as considering ourselves safe. And then maybe bringing these coping mechanisms, coping mechanisms that where we felt we were keeping ourselves safe, and now they don't. In actually, they they just um, keep us in a uh, whether it be uh, dysfunctional relationships or codependent relationships or what have you. But we still, until we get to this point of awareness or realization that it's not serving us or it's um, at our detriment. Yeah. It's like, when do we get to this point? Like you were saying, it's all unconscious until when? And when do we start having control over being able to regulate and being able to kind of um, have some sort of control over our state? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to come back to the when or the, the point of intervention. Okay. Um, but I, but because you mentioned the words coping and regulation, yeah. I think it's helpful to just define the two. Mm -hmm. um, and so coping can be both, both coping and regulation help us to meet the challenge of life, right. And to manage our stressors. Mm -hmm. Um, the definition for coping that I like to distinguish compared to regulation resources is that coping typically involves some sort of numbing of the activation state, some yeah. sort of okay. not facing, not processing, not acknowledging the okay. sympathetic or the dorsal response. Okay. And so this could look like, you know, um, the alcohol, the social media, the Netflix binge watching, the over exercising, right? Yes. All of these things would be coping mechanisms that 
that absolutely have served a purpose in terms of helping us survive. So there's no shame in a coping mechanism, right? But a regulation resource kind of in contrast to that numbing is going to allow for the processing and when needed the discharging of that energy that is the activation response. So we're acknowledging where we are, we're regulating, um, we're, we're still managing the stress um, of, or treating the stressor, but this time it's through discharging and processing the activation response and regulating back to ventral. Okay. Yeah. And to me with, with the regulation, are you training your body to be then able to shift its view or sense of safety versus it being, or a cue of safety versus it being a cue of danger? Like you're creating these cues of safety within yourself or um, say it in a different way with regards to uh, how we're able to use it. Regulation is going to be the, the process of acknowledging what state we're in. So are we in ventral, sympathetic, or dorsal? Okay. And if we're, if we're in ventral, then we can... Um, you know, there's ways to savor, soak up, and um, it's purposeful to be present with that ventral um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sense um, or state. But regulation is more to do with finding a pathway back to ventral when we're experiencing sympathetic and dorsal. Um, for so many of us, because we didn't necessarily have um, consistent caregivers with secure attachments who were helping us to process and accept name, understand, process these states in a, in a way that was a safe and connected way yes. instead of a alone, disconnected, overwhelming way from childhood through adulthood. Many of us experience some version of that um, at some point or another or frequently and chronically, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the regulation is showing our system when we're dysregulated that there is a safe and connected way to resource back to a ventral state Brilliant. instead of getting stuck in that sympathetic and dorsal. And I, I will, um, if we have time today, talk about specific ways um, to regulate for each of those um, states so that people feel like they can understand that a little bit better and walk Absolutely. away with them some resources. Um, but going back to your question of like, okay, at what point, <laughs> what's the point that I regulate or when do I know I can regulate? And um, it ties into point of point of intervention, right? Yeah. Theory lens. And so this is where I really like to talk about the flow of the um, autonomic nervous system and then the way that it brings information into the brain and our brain functions work together to create really our lived experience. Okay. Um, and so I start with this visual and I'm going to try to be really descriptive because I know some folks will be watching this on video and some will just have the audio. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, but um, if you kind of hold your hand up, your wrist represents the spinal cord. Um, and if you hold your hand up like you're giving me a high five, you can fold your thumb on the inside of your palm and then fold the rest of your four fingers over that thumb to make a shape of a brain. Yes. And 80% um, of the information that comes into the brain via the, um, the autonomic nervous system is afferent, which means that it's coming in through sensory fibers from the body only 20% is going top down, which means that 
we get a lot more from our body impacting the rest of our brain function than we do thinking our way down. That's so crazy. Really, really important. Yeah. Well, and that's so, that's so counterintuitive. And I know. Because we push down so much of what we feel in our bodies, mm-hmm. whether, you know, a feeling of angst or a tightness in our chest or the butterflies in our stomach. And we do, we try to think it away. And and it is the whole control aspect of it. Yes. Um, is counterintuitive. Well, our culture so prioritizes cognition over experience and has for centuries. You know, you think about the quote, I think, therefore I am. How much yes. emphasis is given to yes. thought, cognition, when really that has a 20% poss- rate of possibility to impact our, our experience. So it still can, it's important, but the sure. um, having a mantra or having a thinking your way out of it solution or cognitive behavioral therapy can certainly be supportive and helpful. Um, But we just have to keep in mind that it's at a rate of 20% compared to this 80% um, potential of our experience, you know, of these fibers and information moving up into the brain. So our autonomic nervous system comes into the brain system around, or the brain stem, I'm sorry, at the palm. Mm -hmm. And this is where neuroception is happening. And um, neuroception, you know, sussing out the threats. If there's too many cues of danger, it's going to activate sympathetic or dorsal if it's even more. Mm-hmm. And then this brain stem is going to work together with your folded over thumb. And that folded over thumb represents the limbic system. Mm-hmm. And the limbic system is in charge of um, our emotions, regulating our emotions and our feelings and motivating our behaviors. So we can see how our state, whether it's sympathetic or dorsal or ventral is really working together to impact whatever feelings and behaviors we have. Okay. And then this, um, your four fingers represent the cortex, which is in charge of making maps and integrating things, particularly this front part of the prefrontal cortex is in charge of integrating everything. Mm-hmm. And it can only do its job of integrating these brain functions um, if we are in a homeostasis in enough regulation with a ventral online to be able to integrate. Dan, Se- This is Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain and maybe in the notes we can put a link Absolutely. to his video for more um, Mm-hmm. for a little bit more because I'm simplifying it through a polyvagal lens mm-hmm. but um he calls it flipping your lid when we're in a state of dysregulation sympathetic or dorsal this prefront prefrontal cortex is not online we're not able to integrate our functions and it feels very disintegrated or um, extreme or rigid in our um behaviors our feelings and our our thoughts mm-hmm. so this imagery I think shows really well how it's mostly our state that is impacting our story. Mm -hmm. Um, Our story is like our thoughts, our words, our outlook on life, right? But it's not only activating our story or impacting our story. It's also impacting our emotions and feelings. It's motivating what behaviors we choose um, in addition to that story. So how do we know, you know, when when it's time to maybe use some regulation? Um, if we're experiencing anything that's correlating with dysregulation, any thoughts, any behaviors, any feelings, kind of moving back down the the line here, the flow that emerge from 
a state of dysregulation. Okay, so let me use an example of mine. So let's say that usually at the end of the day, um, around five o'clock, I am usually a, a little bit, even though I'm coming down from my day, I'm there's this feeling of anxiousness. Like mm -hmm. I still have all of these other things to do, but I'm coming down from the day or I forgot to do something or I wasn't able to get back to some, like, I still, my mind is racing. Yeah. So there's this angst, this tightness that I feel in my chest. And the one thing I think about what my coping is to, I'm going to have a cocktail. Mm -hmm because that's the, the one thing that I know and experience to just kind of take the edge off. And I'm then able to just kind of relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what, what is it at, what's that five o'clock for me? Where am I in the, you know, in that process? Yeah. So, um, can we explore a little further and share yeah. that tightness in your chest? You have yeah. the thoughts racing about all the things that you had to do that maybe you didn't do that you still need to do. Um, what is the story right there? If you, if that state, not, not, mm. not the yeah. adult, you know, okay. functioning parent, Lara, but the story that's emerging from the state, how would that state in that experience finish the sentence right now? I am. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Okay. So right now I'm not doing enough. What, what else? Let's see. Right now, this is too much. This is too much. So I'm not doing enough. This is too much. Yeah. Right now, the world is. <laughs> has too many expectations of me. Yeah. It has too many yeah. expectations. Yeah. I really get a sense. Or I'm not meeting overwhelmed. the expectation, right? Yeah. Like, yeah um, I'm not meeting the expectation. Yeah. And so does that kind of hook back into the, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough for other people. I should, uh, uh, the whole shoulding thing comes yeah. out. Yeah. So all of these thoughts, this is typically where um, people come to us, where yes. we thought these are the thoughts and the story are yes. typically sometimes the behavior can be, yes. you know, it's all linked together as sure. we do talked about but this is where people come and say I can't do enough I'm feeling overwhelmed there's too much right um that is a very sympathetic story anything that has to do with this sense of urgency or needing to fix something is really associated with the sympathetic mobilization right I have to fight the thing or flee the thing mm -hmm. and um so if we track that back down, that's the story. If we go back down to the behavior, mm -hmm. the behavior is maybe how, how is your pace feeling? Like, do you feel like you're darting around or what is, what is that? Well, I'm darting. It's almost like all I'm trying to do is just keep busy, but I'm not being productive at anything. Yeah. You know, so I, yeah. Yeah. And because um, I'm jumping ahead, because I kind of already named it as sympathetic, right? Yeah. But this, this, when we're in sympathetic and our lid is flipped and who knows, you know, what, you know, it's a continuum. So what flipping you're, you're at at that place, how extreme it is on this continuum of like, let's say a one to 10, but um, we don't have as much access to our thoughts. So, and we also don't have the access to make maps and meaning of those thoughts. Okay. So, feel really disorganized, really yes. overwhelming. Very. Um, and then if we drop down into the um, 
the emotion at the limbic level. What are the emotions that are going on? You know, are you feeling happy, joy, no. sad, frustrated? <laughs> uh, it's a combination of sad, overwhelm, stress. Yeah. Um, uh, just, uh, just this heavy sense of responsibility and not enough time and kind of like, fuck it. I'm just gonna, I, I don't want to feel this way. I want a quick fix. Um, it, it is, it's, it consumes me and it, yeah. it's funny. It's, and, and again, the other thought that comes into my head and the emotion that's there is here I go again, this is happening again. When is this going to end? And but that sends me, well, I have to figure this out and it's bigger than what I want to deal with. Right. So it just, I go into this rabbit hole of thoughts. Yes. yes. And so all of these are really, really kind of classic. I think everyone listening will probably be able to relate to at least pieces of this sure. circumstances, if not the same end of the daytime, um, but very common emergent properties of the sympathetic response. I need to do something. I need to fix something right now. And it makes sense because you've been mobilized all day and your, your system is trying to mobilize to do the things that it's telling you it needs to do to stay in the state that it says you need to stay in for this perceived threat. Right. Yes. Okay. So, so it makes sense that the cocktail would be a really useful coping tool because what the cocktail is going to do when your system's in sympathetic, I'm doing this hand motion that's um, moving quickly because yeah. our system is mobilized. The pace is faster. Your heart is moving more quickly to pump blood to essential organs and muscles, right? To fight mm -hmm. the thing and flee the thing. Mm -hmm. And so the coping tool and or regulation tool would be something that would show this state of hyper arousal in your system, mm -hmm. that it's actually safe to come into a bit of stillness, that you're actually still safe. If you slow down, the lion's not really going to get you because our system doesn't know the difference between all the things we have to do on our to-do list and a lion in front of us, the autonomic nervous system doesn't know the difference. Unfortunately. So if, you know, it makes sense that if our system thinks there's a lion in front of us or a to-do list, right. Or the things that we didn't get done, yeah. that it would stay in this fight flight sympathetic state and the cocktail is showing the system um, that it can come a little bit more into stillness and slow down and be safe. Oh, the lion didn't get us. Oh, the to-do list, like life still goes on. Right. So, um, that am I, am I telling myself then, am I, am I telling, am I keeping myself in a specific state by using the cocktail as a band-aid versus well, what? Yeah. Yeah. So that goes back to kind of the coping versus the regulating for Got most it people that are using a coping tool, it's going to come back because we don't, it's not a practice of, okay, I'm in sympathetic right now. Got what it. are some of my regulation resources okay. that I can show my system that, mm -hmm. that I can um, regulate without a coping tool that I can actually, I can access ventral. I can mm -hmm. regulate up to ventral without um, some of my coping. Got tools. it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Awareness is key. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, 
I don't know if it would be helpful that we just went through like a sympathetic experience. I, I imagine yeah. some people that are listening might even have a dorsal experience, perhaps even tied to similar content, right? Getting yeah. to the, it sounds like your system maybe even dips into that a little bit. No doubt. But this dorsal, you know, if our system is perceiving too many cues of danger and sympathetic mobilization isn't enough to, to meet the threat or accomplish the to-do list to be able to then move on and and rest or, or be present in ventral. Yes. Some of us might even have a dorsal response and even more extreme response where if we're moving up to the state equaling the story, if we have dorsal online, then maybe our feelings are feelings of apathy. This happens every night. What's wrong with me? Why can't I just move through my to-do list yes. um, time as scheduled? Um, I'm, you know, maybe some sadness or shame creeps in like I'm a loser because I can't do this or people are gonna think I'm the worst because I didn't respond to the email in time or whatever um, and then the behavior might be okay the, maybe I'm gonna go get into bed a little bit early and just sit and veg out and binge Absolutely. watch my shows right that sounds, and, then, yeah. and then the thoughts were kind of looped in there right that maybe no doubt as I said right now I am a loser Right now, this is too much overwhelming. Um, I, I just can't. Any of that? I think, I is like for me, how it's in in that situation, I think the, the piece for me is being a recovering and a, a long time recovering people pleaser yeah. is the I'm not doing enough for other people or I'm not meeting the needs or multiple people need something or I'm making the assumption that they need something yeah and I'm not meeting that need and yeah. they're uh therefore suffering because of it right so that's kind of this and that puts me into a shutdown or like the what you're talking yes. about the well and that's why I mean I love all of these different um uh, different <clears throat> approaches because this ties so much into attachment which comes yes. out of state of safety yeah. right and, and people pleaser can be seen as either a flight right I'm, I'm feeling mm -hmm. flighty sympathetic or some people even categorize it as like a fawn response a response in and of its own um just kind of depends how it's showing up for you but um you know this limbic part of our brain this thumb is also in charge of interpreting co-regulation um, and managing co-regulation and attachment, right? How are we getting our needs met in proximity to others? And if in childhood, we felt like we needed to meet the needs of others, particularly our caregivers, um, because their nervous systems weren't necessarily regulated or they didn't have the support that they need, you know, um, or we were experiencing abuse, um, that our systems will then associate not meeting someone else's need as a cue of danger, because that's, that's an autonomic pattern that yes. is still alive in our system to keep us mm -hmm. safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me, um, Tell me a little bit about the being able to become aware and regulate ourselves. I think it's so hard as a parent when, because to me, what this sounds like, it's, it's empowering to be able to regulate yourself 
so much of, I think, what parents will do, and I have done in the past, is I'll attempt to regulate myself based on what my son is or isn't doing. You know, how is he? If he's okay, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel that this piece of regulation, if we can get it under control as parents, if we can regulate ourselves, I think we naturally show our children that they can do the same and be empowered to do the same. So talk a little bit about how someone actually starts the practice of regulating themselves and using the knowledge of this theory and what's going on in their body, this 80% of what's going on in their body to, yes. to shift and, and, and change and um, feel better. Um, and kind of uh, flip the switch a little bit. Yes. So I'll talk about regulating and kind of how to go about knowing when it's a time to regulate and what to do to regulate. Um, But I also want to touch on something you mentioned, which is being connected to how the other person, particularly your son and your example, um, if if he's okay, you're okay, right? So um, also just understanding that that experiencing any dysregulation is not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's, it's in the service of our survival. So sympathetic mobilization on its own um, is not bad. When it's a flood, it, it can be for a survival response to meet a threat. Sure. And if it's not really a threat there, then okay, we're kind of analyzing the circumstance. But, um, but sympathetic is what allows us to get out of bed, allows us to exercise, allows us to Mm -hmm. feed ourselves. Mm -hmm. So on its own, um, or in homeostasis with ventral, it's a really wonderful thing. And then if we have a threat, you know, if a car, if we're crossing a street and a car comes, it's appropriate to be flooded with sympathetic to really fast to get away from the the car. Um, Same thing with, with dorsal in, in different ways. So however, many of us have have been raised with an autonomic patterning to experience someone else's dysregulation as a cue of danger. And that certainly shows up and is super common for parents. So just kind of teasing out um, when we get a sense of our own autonomic states and when we have a practice of awareness and regulation, then um, maybe we can make space for allowing our kids to experience dysregulation. um, Yes. Be okay. Yes, absolutely. To connection and safety, right? Well, and I think that the when you had mentioned before, um, you know, we're not able to discern. The brain isn't able to discern between um, a lion or my son not being okay and that's stressing me out, or he's injured on the field, and or he's disappointed or deeply disappointed around something, and I'm feeling anxious about so being able to recognize you being able to recognize and those feelings are completely the same whether it's somebody chasing me or a lion chasing me or my son being injured on the field it's the same physical feeling and response so um and as you said like neurobiology research tells us like we don't have control over it so what's the shame like okay uh, i'm feeling I'm feeling this way when my son is on the field and this is happening, 
I don't have control over this yeah. field. My this is my system, but we can start to you know become aware of it and yeah. understand. But but there's it for me and for clients. I feel like it really removes this shame of like, why is my body doing this? It shouldn't be doing this. When we understand it's for one, it's involuntary, and two, it's for the service of survival. Then it's like, okay, this is my body working perfectly, <laughs> the way it yeah. knows how right now. And when you talk about regulation, are you taking it a step forward even from there where, okay, yes, this is what my body is doing. This is how my body is serving me, mm -hmm. but then taking it the next step where now I can start self-regulating, like this is what's coming up. And now I can make some sort of practice and change so it doesn't hit. So is it just the awareness or are you then also able to start making some changes in how your body responds? Yeah. It's an how intensely it is. Right. Exactly. It's, okay. a, it's building awareness. It's um, creating some practices, um, implementing some tools to experience a situation differently. So, you know, if your son is injured on the field, I might analyze the situation of your dysregulation and say, that's a perfectly appropriate time to feel dysregulated. Like your child is injured. This is a very real threat, but it's things like, um, you know, my, my, I'm being a big one that we get is like, I'm being really reactive. I don't want to respond the way I want to mm -hmm. um, with my kid. I'm yelling in a way that I never thought I would. I'm saying things I never thought yeah. I would say. What is happening? I don't want to be doing that. Right. And that's an analysis that says, okay, the, the response that I am engaging in doesn't seem to be meeting the current circumstance when I retroactively analyze it, right? And I wanna make mm -hmm. a change. It doesn't matter. So, yeah. yeah. So, so first is building that awareness of what your states are. So one of the first exercises that I do with clients and that I still practice is called notice and name. So it's just kind of figuring out where you are at a given moment, either randomly you can set a timer or just check in, you know, whenever it seems appropriate or it comes in your mind and just say, okay, where am I on my ladder right now? Mm -hmm. Am I in ventral safety and connection? Am I in sympathetic? Am I in dorsal? And how extreme does it feel on a scale yeah. of one to 10? Okay. So just kind of checking in. And okay. even that you can begin to notice patterns, you know, am I feeling particularly sympathetic every morning when I'm racing in a sense of urgency to get my kid out to school on time? Is that like a particularly difficult time? Um, am I noticing in your, like that sympathetic pattern at the end of the day? Yeah. Five noticing that, right? Right. Am I particularly dorsal on Sundays when I'm gearing up for the work week and I'm just feeling like I, I just can't, I just don't want to. Right. Mm -hmm. So starting to notice those patterns. Okay. Then bringing in regulation, it helps to have a little bit more context around regulation in the States. We already talked about sympathetic being the state of hyper arousal. Your system yeah. is mobilized. Mm -hmm. um, dorsal is a state of hypo arousal. Your system is slowing, numbing, mm -hmm. um, things that the, the pace is slower. So in that case, the regulation resource is going to be to show your system, it's okay, you're still safe if you start to move and feel. 
So if you're not pinned by a lion because your nervous system doesn't know the difference between being pinned by a lion and it being Sunday and the work week coming up. Right. So showing your system at a state level, okay, acknowledging, oh, I'm in dorsal right now. It's Sunday and I'm in dorsal. So how can I show my system safely, gently, slowly that it's safe to start moving? And um, there's... We, we, I do exercises that involve maps so we can get super specific with this, but the main and, and everyone's regulation resources might be different, just like we might have, you know, complete um, variety in our cues of safety and danger. Yeah. We also might have complete variety in what feels good to, to regulate as a regulation resource. Yeah. Um, you know, there's two categories, um, like, you know, self-regulation and co-regulation. Um, kids are less able physiologically to self-regulate. So they really Uh, rely on co-regulation until, you know, for sure age six or seven, but maybe even 12, you know, and and on. Um, And so we can regulate by ourselves or with others um, through co-regulation. And then the categories I encourage people to think about are um, ones that we all have which are breath and sensation and movement. So if we're having trouble brainstorming regulation resources that that work for us individually, we can say, okay, when I am in sympathetic hyper arousal, my pace is fast, my, my breath is quicker. How can I show my system through my breath that it's safe to slow down and I'm not going to be eaten by the line or Mm -hmm. consumed by the to-do list, that I can do a longer exhale. So that's a breath that kind of will work somatically for many of us. Um, so you know, inhaling through the nose and exhaling long through the mouth? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Longer exhale kind of stimulating that parasympathetic nervous system to come down from this hypoarousal, hyperarousal yeah. and sympathetic. Um, if we are moving, if there's, you know, sympathetic comes with, I have to move, I have to fix this, I have to do this now, the sense of urgency. And so if we want to discharge, we can shake things out, we can dance, um, we can push and win, um, you know, either through push-ups, pushing against a wall, pushing a chair across the the floor, basically exerting some force and and discharging some of that sympathetic energy. But then also seeing, okay, is, can I slow down a little bit now? Checking in and seeing now doesn't it feel safe for my body to, to not be fully moving, right? Mm-hmm. Now that I discharge some things. So mm-hmm. that breath, that um, those sensations, those, those body movements, sensations obviously can include our whole sensory spectrum. So if there's any music that we like to listen to that attunes to our sympathetic state, that's a beautiful one um, that people can individualize. But those sort of categories to help people build some resources in ways that we all share, which is our breath, the way we sense life, yes. and then the way that we move our bodies through space and through life. And, and so it, does that, does that really quick, does that chasm close between when, okay, you, you have that awareness, I have my five o'clock awareness, I'm in sympathetic, I either do the breathing, or I put on some, you know, great country or whatever I want to do, and I start dancing. So whatever I decide to do, is it when I have that awareness, if I keep on doing that every day, am I able to kind of close the time between when I notice my body doing that and how I recover from that? Does that ever, does my body ever get to a point 
where I'm not responding to that five o'clock because of the awareness and that long-standing pattern in how it just doesn't. Yes, uh, it's it's an old pattern. So, what happens? Like, am I closing the chasm? Or will it eventually disappear? Or, no. Yeah. So, what a lot of people will say, and I don't know if you would say the same, but it feels like I get stuck in this pattern. Yes. I get stuck in this place where. I feel all the things that you've already said that you feel that correlate with a, or emerge from a sympathetic state. And um, I just, I don't know what to do other than the thing I know that I do. So um, I want to build in more regulation and that feeling of stuckness, yeah. uh, whether it's a stuckness in sympathetic or a stuckness in dorsal is that the system's um, separation or disconnection from the pathway back to ventral. So what the practice does is it slowly builds a route or routes in your neuropathways to come back to ventral. Just like, you know, I think of it like driving down a road for the first time or in a new city where I'm constantly checking GPS and it feels very methodical and I'm making sure I'm turning on all the right streets knowing the town like the back of my hand and being an autopilot and knowing if I miss that turn, that's okay. Cause I can loop around at this turn, having multiple pathways back to the destination, which yeah. is ventral in um, a state of homeostasis or regulation. So, and all of us, many of us have these stucknesses or these patterns where it's an opportunity to build a pathway back to ventral okay. and one for the particularly analytical or the particularly solutions focused folks. Um, there is a way to say like, okay, if we add another layer of awareness, let's say it's your example and it's a sympathetic end of the day and you really want to get the cocktail. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you want the cocktail? Maybe you say eight, nine, right? Okay. I need the cocktail. It's my thing. Yeah, yeah. Then you do your regulation resources and you check in again. You say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how much do I want the cocktail? Maybe it's a five, maybe it's a three. Generally it's come down mm-hmm. closer to, you know, I, it's not as an extreme need. And that's the progress you see. Maybe you don't need the cocktail that day, 10 days, whatever, but you can start to see the progress Mm-hmm. And the pathway building back because the stories emerge from the state. So if yeah. you're able to achieve that ventral state, yeah, stories follow. Um, your feelings when you're in ventral are going to be, I'm um, present, I'm aware, I'm happy, yeah. I'm joyful, I'm calm, I'm passionate, right? I'm alive. Um, and the behaviors yeah. and then the thoughts follow. Yeah. So um, that dorsal just going back to regulation to, to walk us through dorsal, this is a point I like to make that, um, you know, there's like jokes, like, have you, have you tried mindfulness? Have you tried meditation? Did you, <laughs> deep breath? Did you do that? Yeah. And it's like, did you try this mantra? But it, a polyvagal theory informed lens will really, really acknowledge that there are certain regulation tools that work for the state and work for the individual. So doing a particular mm. breath exercise when you're in sympathetic and works for regulation, let's say, will not work the same for your system when you're in hypo arousal, which is that slowing. The goal with the regulation resources, whether it's self-regulation or co-regulation is to, in dorsal, is to slowly show your system it's safe to feel and move and engage. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, in the categories that we all have, whether it's breath sensations or moving our body, maybe in dorsal. Um, and it, you know, I so attuned to that dorsal. So I'm even like, I slow my speech when I talk about dorsal. I lower my voice or my volume when I speak about dorsal. Um, my pace slows because in that state, it's so important to move slowly, gently, safely. Um, and in that, that breath is going to be the opposite. Instead of longer exhale, we're going to want maybe some sharp inhales and a quick exhale because we want to show our body through the breath that it's safe to take deep breaths that really show that we're alive mm-hmm. and we're not pinned by the lion playing dead. Mm-hmm. So we're going to want some energizing breaths. Um, in our sensations, like maybe we want to listen to gentle music that's quieter, that slowly allows us to kind of creep out of that hibernation state. Okay. Um, maybe we're going to want some gentle touch if we're feeling numb. Maybe it feels better to just kind of gently squeeze our arms or our legs or give ourselves a hug or if we're in co-regulation, get a hug or some, you know, pats on the back or gentle rubs on the back from a partner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling warm water, you know, in a bath or a shower is a gentle way to show our systems it's safe to feel or feeling the warm sunshine on our skin. These are all kind of somatic tools um, that tend to, at least in flavors of them, work for um, many different people for the state. And then there's going to be specific ones like yoga you like to do or bike riding or, you know, conversations you like to have with other people or movies you like to watch, things that are much more individualized um, outside of these somatic categories. Yeah. And do you find that, what do you suggest to the parents that you work with? Um, Because so much of this can be triggered by our kids, right? States. you know, if someone was to say, okay, because of course this can, uh, this is also layered, like you said before, this can be layered with, you know, our attachments when we were young and so forth. Yes. But let's just say at present, we're having these, you know, uh, these situations that are triggering these, um, these affects and these thoughts and these th- stories, mm-hmm. especially with our kids. What do you suggest to the parents that they start working on to just get control over, like what's the time frame? would you say, where then you can start talking to your kids about or start using just co-regulation? And I, I'd like to talk more about older, like teenage kids, because I find that right now so many of teens and young adults are dealing with such an abundant amount of anxiety and sense of responsibility and feeling that they need to find their purpose. And, and as parents, we naturally want to support them and or either tell them what to do or lecture them or tell them how we would do it. And so, so where, um, where do we start? Where do you have parents start? So first, in terms of the timeline, that is, you know, so individualized. And I know that's the answer that nobody wants to hear. <laughs> of course not. But I hope, you know, it is the, the true answer, I feel. Yeah. And I hope that the truth at least feels yeah. comforting and like, okay, that's the truth, right? Yes. Um, so um, in terms of the step in the, this example is my kid is experiencing something hard. 
maybe they're even dysregulated, right? If they're experiencing anxiety, mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. anxiety is going to be that chronic sympathetic, um, which makes so much sense given everything that's going on. And then of course, you know, we didn't even get into the neurobiology specifically of teens. Dan Siegel has a whole, um, we can link that video maybe in the, the comments yeah. too. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. Um, so, um, Teens are adolescents more specifically because he talks about adolescence being um, more than the teenage years, right? Mm -hmm. um, going into mid to late twenties of this mm -hmm. brain development. Mm -hmm. um, but our kids experiencing dysregulation and what most parents have, at least at the beginning, is cues of danger around their child experiencing dysregulation. So no my kid's dysregulated. Now I'm dysregulated and mm -hmm. I still want to help my kid, but what my my feelings, my behaviors, and my thought story and outlook about my kid are all now emerging from this place of dysregulation. Yes. So if the kid's anxious and then I'm anxious, I'm going to be trying to fix it. I'm going to be trying to, you know, quickly solve some sort of problem. Yes. Um, and there's not going to be as much space and opportunity for me as a parent to be a co-regulation resource to my kid because yes. a co-regulation resource has to be anchored in ventral so it has to be enough ventral online like maybe there's still that tinge of anxiety right or sure, that sure. that there coming on but enough ventral enough to be able to show up and help my kid feel safe yeah, yeah. and so the the where to start is that notice the name okay my kid's dysregulated now i'm noticing i'm just i'm in i'm in sympathetic what does that feel like? That feels like increased heart rate, um, breathing quickly, feeling hot, feeling like I need to fix it. You know, um, we can map out some sort of, in, some people mm -hmm. have individualized stories as well that are really helpful mm -hmm. to notice and, and be able to acknowledge in the moment. Mm -hmm. Then, okay, what are regulation resource or resources that I can use to help me regulate and sympathetic to come enough into ventral to be able to show up and be a safety spot, a secure attachment for my kid to experience what, what yes. you're experiencing. Yes. And then um, it takes, you know, a couple experiential evidence or evidences Absolutely. through experience to be able to fully trust that safety is the treatment. You know, when when you are a safe, mm -hmm. secure, um, co-regulation resource, unconditional, enough you know, good enough. We're not seeking perfection here, but when our, our kid is able to see safety in us through mirror neurons, they also involuntarily will have no choice, but to regulate a little bit. And, you know, they might need more than your mirror neurons in the moment, sure. but that is a start. And I like to think of one, another way to see dysregulation or um, an activated threat response is through any feelings of being isolated or alone, mm -hmm. having system overwhelm, and feeling powerless or immobilized. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to simplify things for, because there's so many things that we have to keep track of. And yes. if we can simplify it down or distill it to some, some key nuggets that we can pull when we're in a, a moment of distress or a challenging situation, I personally find that helpful. And so I anchor into like, okay, even if I can't really figure out what state they're in, are they in dorsal sympathetic, what's going on? Am I picking up on any feelings that my child is experiencing around feeling alone or disconnected, 
isolated? Are they feeling um, overwhelmed, you know, manifested by a tantrum or stomping or whatever the behavior is that's, that's yes. exhibiting that? Or are they feeling powerless, immobilized? Like, you know, that might be the, the child angst, like trying to have a, a um, what do we call it? That um, when we're engaging in a conflict with our kid and um, the power dynamics are, you know. Power struggle? At play. Yeah, power struggle. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, yeah the power <laughs> struggle with our kids, yeah. right? Be the, them feeling so powerless. So are they feeling alone? Are they feeling overwhelmed? Are they feeling powerless? Am I feeling alone? Am I feeling overwhelmed by this experience? Am I feeling powerless or like I don't have choice? And if so, the regulation will kind of restore some of that. And we can use what I'm about to say for ourselves, but I find it particularly helpful then after we're in a place of regulation to be able to treat the dysregulation in front of us beyond our mirror neurons is, and it can be in any order, but I generally like to start with connection. Um, as the antidote to that feeling alone. So if my kid is dysregulated and they're feeling isolated and alone, I'm first gonna do my darndest to hook into connection, however that looks or feels for my kid. So is it through touch? You know, do I come up and, yes. and there's no perfect, you know, you have to craft, you have to attune here, but is it- An experiment. Be- you That's have right. To play with it and, and yeah. make the wrong move and, and pivot, right? right? So do they need a pat on the back, a hug? Do they need verbal validation? Like, oh gosh, you're so disappointed that you lost the game. Oh boy, I, I so know how that feels. And maybe you tell a story like, so they're not alone. Their, yeah. their experience is not shameful and they're not the only one who feels that way. So giving some um, connection there physical proximity, verbal. Yes. Then if they're, you know, if they're feeling alone, we've got some connection next, if they're feeling overwhelmed, something we can do that is supportive is to make age appropriate meaning of the situation. You know, if they're feeling overwhelmed, we can contextualize for it, for them. So if the first, you know, antidote was connection, the next one is context to be able to say, oh yeah, you really wanted to win that game. And it's so disappointing that you lost the game, mm-hmm. oh, you know, and whatever context they need. Yeah. So um, some things are a little bit more, especially as you get into the teenage years, because you particularly mentioned, you know, wanting to know yeah. more about that, understanding what's going on in their brain. Um, so maybe we'll come back to the essence, even though we're going to link to the video. Um, but then the third C, if we have, you know, connection, then context, choice, is the antidote to that feeling of powerless and immobilized. Yeah. You know, if your kid feels powerless or immobilized, like there's nothing that they can do, what's the just right, you know, Goldilocks amount of choice or agency to not overwhelm their system again, mm-hmm. but give them a little bit of choice. Like, yeah, you know, if it's coming after the game, like, okay, well, do you want to go hang with friends or do you want to come with me? Do you want to go get something to eat or do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to be alone? Do you want to hang out? Like what's the just right gentle amount of choice so that their system can start to feel, okay, I'm not alone. I'm safe with this person who, who knows that I'm going to be accepted, even though I lost this game, right? I'm not going to be rejected. Yeah, And and I feel that unless, unless we as parents are able to regulate ourselves, because it's so hard to watch our kids be in a state let's say a sympathetic state 
and be able to come from um, a uh, what state? Genetic uh, uh, or ventral? Ventral, ventral. Yeah. To come from a ventral state, you know, to come from a state where you're you're calm and collect and you're clear in your thinking. It's really hard to do that. I feel like I feel like when I hear you talk about this, um, there's so much work that adults need to do first yes. before they attempt to even experiment in helping their kids co-regulate. Um, yes. Because so much of, like you said, the platform that they're coming from, the foundation that they're coming from, is one of of angst or a, a sympathetic state where um, it's not coming from a place where they can even remotely attempt to help their kids co-regulate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's well, not a bad thing. I think it's so it's realistic. It's yeah. and it's because of the that responsibility that we feel, and I think it's just. Um, nature for us to feel uh, like we have to help our kids navigate whatever they're going through. Yes. And, and I think it shows, um, you know, conscientious or conscious parenting too, to have that awareness. So, so many parents, you know, sometimes come with the, this is what's going on with me and I want this to be different. Um, This is the challenge I'm experiencing, but more common, it's kind of kid focused um, yes, you know, child situation yeah. where it's like sure. it is experiencing this, and it's such a challenge for me. I don't know how to deal with it, but it's really right. focused on the kid. Yeah. And so you're right that so much of this is that experiential evidence of saying, okay, well, what's happening in your system when your kid is having this, and yeah. and building in the reps, the experiential evidence reps yes. Yes. of proving to yourself, showing through experience that yes. sympathetic. Um, this anxiety, this dysregulation will pass. And it's possible through concrete tools and practices to build those pathways back to ventral. You know, if we're sitting there not having practiced it with ourselves, just like that, just like you said, we might not trust or believe that our kids' experience of dysregulation will end. And that is very dysregulating. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Or dysregulation. And we have proven to our systems that we can resource back to ventral. Then we know and we trust and we are like wonder women powerhouses. No doubt. We're women right now, but we're wonder parents. um, Resources fully trusting that our kids are going to come out the other side and that they will be able to get back to ventral. And that doesn't mean we're, you know, minimizing or patronizing their experience. It's more about the exactly what you said, which is when we have done the work ourselves and we have resourced back to ventral, we know it's possible for our our kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tell me in your experience, just just your personal experience, where um, do you feel that you're at right now in really pulling this in and just, and how has it impacted the relationship you have with your kids, with your husband, um, with your family, knowing that your past, you had your own attachments or traumas from your past? Yeah, it's such an interesting, beautiful and evolving question. Um, So thank you for asking it. Right now, it's really special because 
I, there were times in my life, just like I mentioned earlier, where the stories were like, I'm broken. What's wrong with me? Why can't I have this? Um, you know, I'm struggling with my partner. I'm not a good mom. Those were the, the overwhelm, you know, going back to those three hallmarks of trauma or threat response, feeling totally alone in that experience and shamed by it, feeling um, overwhelmed and not knowing what to do, where to start. And then also feeling like, you know, no choice. Like, I don't know. I don't know where, you know, what to do. I I can't do anything um, on my own. And so um, I, I think we've talked before about being recovering perfectionists on top of what you mentioned today of this people pleasing, right? (laughs) So, um, so just like you said, woven in there is my attachment history and, and trauma history and all of that. Um, But it's, it's amazing to feel like life is okay. Life is fun sometimes. Life is hard sometimes. And to feel like I have the tools and the power and the agency to be able to make it through, um, even if it is really hard sometimes. And I, I really do anchor into the, what am I feeling right now? Um, and sometimes it sneaks up on me. Sometimes sure. I'm getting good at, at, it's been several years now of a practice for me. Sure. So um, generally speaking, I move through life what, in what feels to me like a lot of regulation and in a lot of um, connection. And some mm-hmm. people might even say gratitude for mm-hmm. the ventral or the dysregulation states that I'm experiencing. It's almost like a Oh, thank you, body. <laughs> like you're you're yeah. protecting me. You're doing such yeah. a, you're doing such an amazing job. And it and because of that connection in my own experience, it's changed um, a large part. It's still not, it's not all the time, but how I'm viewing my kids' experiences. Yes, so good. Okay, a, a good amount of time yeah. when my kid, you know, my son is having a tantrum or ex- yes. extremely dysregulated and it's not convenient and it's loud and he's <laughs> saying mean things and he's starting to hit his sister, right? So there's all these things that are going on that are a lot to manage in the moment, but that knowing that this is his state that is protecting him is clearly a sympathetic state with all that going on um, and that he's not in control of everything that's happening. Um, at least it's not making the choices for everything that's happening. And so my job is to, you know, keep him safe and to, through co-regulation, show him it's safe to come into ventral again, um, where these different things are possible. Um, so I guess the short answer is I'm, I'm moving through life with a lot more joy, consistency, regulation, possibility, excitement, passion. Um, and and connection to mm-hmm. my different states. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is also a lot more connection with other people. Um, some practical things that have really changed for me are um, meeting my own needs, right? Yep, like, exactly. like, okay, yeah. right. <laughs> okay, what does my system need? Because that is, that's so, I mean, you can't do this work without meeting your needs. You're meeting your system needs when you're regulating, right? Yes. And so these small, gentle, ways of meeting the needs um, allow me to look at that people-pleasing pattern and say like, okay, what's that doing to my system? And how is that impacting the way that I show up 
um, based on my value system with my different relationships and commitments and roles, et cetera. So, um, you know, totally evolving, um, but meeting my needs more and more, um, feeling in connection more and more. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, and when you talk about connection, it's such um, a reverse of that want and need for control. Mm. Um, and that connection you make with the your mind and your body, because so much of us work against what our body is telling us. Yes. So much against what our body is telling us. So it's such a beautiful thing to just reaffirm that it's not so much about let me control what my body is doing, yes. but shifting into let me, let me put these tools into practice so I can regulate yes. versus control what I'm feeling. Because I think that's what I had always been trying to do with the cocktail. I'm going to try to control what my body is feeling. I'm going to try to relax. Yeah. with something external rather than just using some simple tools, which honestly I would consider years ago being very woo woo, very, you know, this whole mindful thing of that's really not, how's that really going to help me? But just what I'm hearing and what I'm coming to experience and know as I put some of these tools into practice is, and damn, it takes time. I mean, it just really takes time to do this, but in putting these tools into practice, what's so beautiful is that you start feeling this uh, sense of connection rather than, and giving up that feeling of control or of having to control. And that's been such a slow yet very clear discernment that, um, I think needs to be made and that it needs a lot of intention and work and diligence. Yes, yeah. yes. That control, typically when we pull apart everything else that's going on around that control, yes. control is typically something that goes along with that sympathetic place, right? Yeah. That sympathetic state. And, and most of the time control is coming somewhere in the vein or the flavor of feeling powerless, right? Yes. I'm feeling powerless, immobilized, helpless. like helpless. Yes. And so I need Absolutely. to exert some control to get my power back. Yeah. But really, and, you know, sometimes it can loop into feeling isolated, alone, or overwhelmed. You know, they're all kind of intertwined. Sure. Um, but, but viewing it from a, okay, oh, I'm trying to control right now, observing, noticing, naming that. My, am I in sympathetic? okay, I'm really feeling powerless about this situation. Um, after regulating, when we have access to our prefrontal cortex with a little bit more ventral online, yeah. the antidote there might be, how can I give myself more choice? What are the choices that I didn't have available to me in the sympathetic place where I was trying to control? What choices do I have? And what choices do I wanna make and what feels yeah. right? So um, control is such a familiar, um, Yes. Oh my desire outcome yep. um, behavior for me personally, but you know, for so many people. And when we start going down um, flavors of control, I typically try to just include a little bit more choice because the feeling is one of powerlessness. Absolutely. Yeah. You are a wealth 
and just a bottomless pit of resource, I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> the way that you explain this is, um, is concise and beautiful and bite-size and it's extremely helpful. So thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. It's yeah. been so wonderful to chat with you. I mean, on the other hand, you're asking really good questions and you're feeling open and I get a sense of connection here with you now because, yeah. you know, it's a space where where you're applying this in real time with yeah. yourself personally, thinking about your clients, thinking about your listeners or your viewers. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's a little ground for some magic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have for you fast five questions. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Try. <laughs> okay. What is has been the best parenting tip that you've ever received? Mm. Um, I don't know if I can give you just one, but so <laughs> start with yourself, right? Taking yeah. care of yourself always, starting with yeah. yourself is going to have ripple effects that you, you can't even, I still am baffled by, yeah. by the ripple effects. Um, so self-care, taking care of yourself. Um, and then also like do what works for you. You know, part of, part oh. of taking care of yourself is mm -hmm. taking, there's so many things out there, so many shoulds, so many mm -hmm. um, ways to do it, you know, right. Mm -hmm. And just knowing that the way that works for me and my family is the right way. Yeah. Yeah. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, it depends. Um, I love audiobooks or um, mm -hmm. or TV like shows and and movies. Um, and then I also love certain foods, but I'm limited with my daughter's you know food allergies. But I would oh. say you know yeah. decadent foods and then TV and um, audiobooks. <laughs> okay, <laughs> metaphor right now. This window that you're in right now of parenting. Mm -hmm. what would be a metaphor for parenting? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, the first metaphor that came to my mind, I don't know if it's um, a lazy or easy one, but the first one that came to my mind was a garden, you know, it just yeah. feels like growing, evolving, um, maybe more specifically compost. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. compost is like the most magnificent metaphor for so much, including parenting that, you know, we're using, we're engaging, we're consuming, we're giving yeah. back. Yeah. It's, it's changing form. <laughs> yeah. It's nourishing. Um, right. Books are involved. All, <laughs> yeah. of, all of things. So yes. garden and, and compost. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. What, what is the best book or um audiobook that yeah. you would reference or give out to people that are in need of just either connecting with their kids or themselves or in the realm of yeah. parenting do I have it handy? yes i do okay the first one that i go to is the whole brain child okay so just bite size manageable it's short right look how thin that is yes um, neurobiology for, for little ones. Okay. Um, so it's Dan Siegel and that's, that's kind of my go-to and then 
lots of things come out of that, but that's the one I start with because it feels so manageable and it's just kind of enough. Okay. Um, and presentation, everything for, as a place to start. Okay. Yeah. And if you had a full day all by yourself, mm-hmm. no responsibilities, you didn't have to do anything for everybody else, anybody else. Yeah. Um, what would you be doing? Um, I would get up and I mean, I, do I walk you through the whole consecutive day? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Would be, yeah. what would you be doing? Spending your time? Yeah. yeah. I would have coffee. I would have, um, foods that I love. I would go on a hike in the mountains. It would be spring. So there'd still be snow on the mountains, but a gorgeous clear day and I'd see a lake and wildflowers and hear the birds. Um, I'd come back and relax and maybe take a bath, um, do a good amount of being alone and then maybe hanging out with some friends or my husband. Um, After all that, I'd wanna see my kids and you know, maybe we'd go and do something that they love, which like what comes to my mind is like water play in a stream and where they feel safe, but playful and they can get dirty and there's time for that. Um, just kind of slow, easy time in nature, time alone and together. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your resources your brilliance. Really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's so wonderful to chat with you and it just feels like it feels like we're just talking. I know. (laughs) I feel like that's the best, but hopefully viewers or listeners will we'll get that and get little nuggets that um, will be helpful for their. Yes. And where can people most find you? Where would you like people to find you if they need it? I know you're going to have website and all social media stuff in the comments. Um, Probably the the best easiest is either my website, michelle-gains.com. Don't forget the dash Mm -hmm. Um, or Instagram, which is Michelle Gaines coaching. Awesome. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, for me too. Thank you so much, Laura. You've been listening to The Great Relate Podcast, hosted by Laura Postma. To learn more about The Great Relate or get access to customized coaching, check out thegreatrelate.com. Subscribe to The Great Relate on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll catch you in the next episode.